Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. All right, everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. We are very close uh, here to the end of the year. And I have some news. We're going to be taking a break for the holidays. Uh, we've got uh, today's podcast and maybe a couple other little teasers will drop uh, over the holiday season. But then we're going to be back in January with uh, our first guest in January. It's going to be Michael Gormley from the Every Knee Shall Bow podcast. Uh, you're going to love this guy. It's a it's a it's going to be a great conversation, and we want you to uh, to join into that. So thank you. Um, hope blessings on your celebrations. Please please be safe and enjoy those. And uh, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're definitely grateful for you all and everything that you've uh, done to uh, just the conversation and uh, sharing sharing the podcast. Uh, today we have a really I have a special special guest here in the studio. It's actually just my office. Uh, uh, Deacon Tim McNeil. Uh, he is the uh, chancellor here for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Deacon Tim, welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we start this way with everybody. Tell us a little bit about your faith journey. Like, when did you first encounter Jesus? I don't know. I mean, it, it, that's a question I've been asked. So I don't yeah. have a three o'clock hour. I don't have a six o'clock hour. Uh, so quickly, I, I'm one of 12 kids. So I grew up in that household where we had the sacred heart pictures. We had the yeah. holy water fonts in our bedrooms. We had uh, evening, we had a rosary until we complained so much. The family rosary got cut out. You managed it, to kill the family rosary. We did. We, you personally, we, or was it, no, was it a it was team a, effort? It was, a, it was a team effort. It was, okay. it was a gang up of mom and dad. And you still turned out okay. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, so it was, uh, you know, Catholic education, you, you know, da daily mastering uh, during Lent, all 12 of us. We took, or 14 of us, my mom and dad. So we would take up two pews. Um, so I, you know, I guess that's a long way of saying it was a, it was a cultural Catholic environment. Yeah. Um, although my dad was a prayer. My mm. dad lived on his knees. So I always felt like, mm. well, I want what dad wants. Dad's always peaceful. Dad never judges. Uh, dad's so merciful. But that really, I guess, came to fruition maybe in my, you know, 20s or, you know, 30s. But I, if I had to say that if there was a seminal moment that life can be different and should be different and was being asked of me, it, it was um, probably a, an Ignatius, St. Ignatius moment where mm -hmm. I was reading after my dad's death. I, oh, I thought you were going to say a cannonball. Oh, no. I was, <laughs> that's what I was waiting. I was like, wow, this is great. Right. Uh, I got all of his books. And and I remember opening up just by chance the Imitation mm. of Christ, reading the Imitation of Christ and experiencing there there is something happening, mm. um, and and that led me to another popular book because there are so many references on Scripture in the Bible, um, that that led me deeper into Scripture, and so I would say over time there was an erosion of who I was, an introduction of who I could be, mm. starting with this little ancient book. That was speaking to me. That and led and me your to dad's a, fingerprints were literally exactly. all over the book. It was torn. It was, and it led me to a, 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 another book, bestseller called The Bible. Yeah. And uh, in time, I just felt like I was no longer. I had a book in my lap. I I, I was cradling a person, um, and mm. that kind of that that began the transformation. It, it How went old from, were you? I, when, when I would say I was in my 
30. So it was at okay. that point where, you know, this, this anxiety, this uneasiness of, of chasing the American dream. Mm-hmm. And I was being introduced and invited to something else. Well, and you'd kind of gotten through the, you know, the twenties when you're like, wait, I'm not invulnerable anymore. And exactly. all of that yeah. period. Yeah. That life isn't wow. about climbing a ladder. And, uh, especially when you have five kids running around your feet and there's something else more important. So, so I guess that, that would be the encounter was, uh, a great foundation, great home life, yeah. um, encouragement, um, go to mass or you'll be grounded. Yeah, or you know all that and, uh, <laughs> um, uh, and i thought i think it was hurt it's like going to mass will keep me grounded it's like oh sure yeah. oh, oh no no i'm grounded <laughs> if i don't go to mass just to make sure everybody heard that you know he made the lord made sure to always give me these clues i, I remember one time skipping mass i happened to go to the store my dad would never go to and my dad was there <laughs> <laughs> so that's that, awesome that was a high school so yeah yeah i don't know why i just want, I want to give it a shout out to father uh, mike swanton in in Columbus, I was blessed, I think, to be with him shortly after his his dad died, and the family had several Bibles that his dad had worn out, and it was so cool to see him, you know, thumbing through this very clearly worn, highlighted Bible yeah. uh, that he had just gotten from his dad, and you could see the legacy of, of faith. Yeah. And I would say on my dad's deathbed, I remember him which is 20, 25 years ago, asking him, are you afraid of dying? And he, he, you know, he had, he had cancer and he said, I, I, son, I've been dying since I've been born and now I'm, I get to go home. And I thought, wow, wow. I, I want, I want that on my deathbed. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Wow. That's a, mm. that's a, that's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing your story. You said now five kids, I've uh, been in Omaha since B- born and raised forever. in Dundee. Moved to Iowa uh, after we were married uh, for about four years, a small town in Iowa, and moved back to Omaha. All right. So you're the chancellor here at the Archdiocese. What does that mean? It's different <laughs> things in different dioceses. So here you're an advisor to the Archbishop. And in my case, it would be media relations, canon law, uh, the administration of the curia and the chancery, uh, safe environment, uh, external affairs, public affairs, community relations. I mean, I just know when things go wrong, it's like, I don't know, talk to Deacon Tim. That's, yeah. you, that's usually. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, gatekeeper. I mean, not gatekeeper, but kind of a catch all for a lot of different yeah. things. So you fix a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Thanks. Fix it. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think, fun new part of your job, you're coordinating the formation for deacons. Tell us a little bit about that. Started in July as the director of the Office of uh, Permanent Deaconate, so uh, the formation of deacons and, and their wives who attend. So I've been joining that. Um, great 20 guys in formation. It's an opportunity. I, you know, I'm trying to put a different look on it and, and a different message to it all. Uh, getting these guys to think uh, beyond the four walls of the parish, mm. to think more missionary, that the mission field is so vast. So it drives me crazy when I hear a deacon say to me, I'm not that busy in my parish. Um, that's an <laughs> invitation. Well, look beyond your parish walls because you can yeah. be as busy as you want to be. So getting them to grasp and get the, the the notion of getting near to those who are most suffering and to take the gospel where it's absent. Yeah. That that's a lot of job security. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. It is. Yes. Yeah. Wait, wouldn't it be a great thing if they're like, ah, I don't know what to do. Everybody in the neighborhood is evangelized. Right. Everybody knows Jesus. I just don't know. I'm out. It's like, it's like, great. Well, I get an export program going. 
Okay, so let's, this is, I think, actually, in my mind, it's a, it's a natural transition here. I want to talk a little bit about the big goal. You know, the Archbishop was on the podcast uh, a couple episodes back, uh, episode number 35. If you're listening and you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to the Archbishop. He talked about this big goal that he announced in October that every parish in the Archdiocese of Omaha would become a missional community in six years. Talk to us a little, about, a little bit about the reasons behind the big goal, um, in your own words, I mean, we've had some conversations. It's been kind of like, you know, conversations brewing here within the chancery for months now. Talk a little bit about it just in your own words. I'll address it through maybe an, an illustration that maybe you've heard. I think others have heard, but uh, it goes back to my, my college days when, when I, was a, I was an intern. I was working for a big organization that everybody in Omaha is going to recognize as Exarbon. Uh, the Thoroughbred Racetrack, the Sports Arena, uh, Philanthropic Group, a uh, major source of Midwest entertainment. Um, so I was an intern in the, in the PR office, and one of my functions was to track legislations in Iowa, which Iowa was at the time trying to pass paramutual racing, paramutual wagering. Um, and so I kept a file. I kept What, kept what is paramutual Paramutual racing? wagering basically mean if you and I are at a racetrack, I'm betting against you. Okay. You know, you and I set the odds, so you're my competitor, not really the house. Um, and so, uh, so that's that's what paramutual wagering means. Okay. Um, so um, they were gonna they were going to introduce or wanted to introduce Greyhound Racing, and so I kept tracked legislation, uh, would brief the executive staff on, on legislation, um, and all the while during that time, that that reality, um, the executive staff thought, well, it's not really a threat. Because we have a hundred and some years of success and we've dominated the market and we have grandeur mm. and we have the best minds and we get 30,000 people on a Saturday and no one's going to be interested in little greyhounds or run around a, a, a circle in 30 seconds. <laughs> so there, there was really kind of a, a flippancy, uh, mm -hmm. reluctant to change. How long, you said a hundred, how long had it, Exarbin been at it? I think it's like about a hundred years or so. A hundred years. Okay. Yeah. That's and, a while. Uh, um, and so, uh, and maybe, could you just tell for for those of us who have not seen a live horse race, or even maybe you know watch more than thirty seconds, like talk a little bit about that grandeur and the experience of it and the cultural, because this I mean this was a really big deal. It was it was one of the top racetracks in the country, and and that yeah. means it it outperformed racetracks in New York and California. Uh, and so again, thirty on a Saturday there would be thirty thousand people, and it would be all. Oh, demographics. Mm -hmm. It is from it is from Fortune 500 company CEOs to the the, the husband and wife from Little Italy mm -hmm. uh, wearing a you know fedora and chewing on a cigar and and everything in between. And so uh, it was the place to be and the place to be seen. Mm -hmm. And uh, but but kids couldn't go in were, were not admitted so they skipped a generation. So an exarbin would dictate policy across the state. And uh, public policy—it it was a center of power, mm -hmm. and uh, and so it was—it it was the place. Um, and uh, but again, there was this notion of we we don't have to change. And at the same time, this legislation is being introduced. Other things are happening in the world. This thing called a computer is developing and technology, and and information is coming faster and in small chunks. Mm -hmm. And this other thing showed up called the USA Today, which used color graphics which you did not have to jump to an inside page to read an article. Mm -hmm. They give you information in short bits. Uh, the world's moving faster. 
and Greyhound Racing, or excuse me, Thoroughbred Racing was was a long game. It was 30 minutes between games. Um, and there was a learning curve and you had to absorb all this data. And along comes this little Greyhound and you have to absorb a little bit of data to make an informed decision. So to truly have a ch uh, the best chance at making the most the best bet, you had to spend the night before abs absorbing data. Right. Well, you can show the up paper, at Greyhound right. Racetrack that morning and decipher some things and make a bet. So um so it was it was coming along at a time when the world was changing. Zarvin was not going to budge. They were not going to change. They feel they did not have to change. And they went from in one year, um, I think my last one of the years I was there, they did about $175 million in wagering through three months. Wow. The Greyhound track comes along and the next year they're at 50 million. And then it was soon 25 million and it was soon 5 million. And so more than, I mean, they more than half just, just disappeared. Just disappeared. Disappeared. And, and so they, and then they, they tried to adjust. They said, well, now we're going to try to be like them. We're, we're going to shorten up the time between games. We're going to all, all types of betting options. Uh, but it was, it was just, it was too late. So, uh, the world was changing. Times were changing. Um, they didn't think they had to, to change with it, that they would survive based on the, the same business model. And they ended up closing. Now I love this story. Not just because I love imagining you around these like, you know, guys with like cigars and fedoras <laughs> and the 20 year old Deacon Tim McNeil yeah. <laughs> getting, yeah. getting teased as the intern. So admittedly, that is part of the reason I like this story. The imagery uh, is really fun, but it, it's a parable too. It is. I mean, you're a little bit. So let's just play Jesus and the disciples here. Master, what does the story mean? Yeah, it means uh, change or adjust or, or at your own peril. Um, you can't, you cannot stand still. You can't rest on your laurels. You can't expect the world is going to bend to your will. Hmm. And uh, so that reluctant to respond to what was obvious and, and just to keep your feet into the ground uh, with spikes hmm. on without moving was going to bring about one result. Um, and uh, it could have been an opportunity. And mm -hmm. It was an opportunity lost, and and it was a short window of time to adjust. I mean, it sounded like you were saying there's almost like a five year window or a six year yeah, window. Yeah, it was. It was um, they closed. I think it was I don't know seven or eight years later. I can't try to remember now. And, yeah. And I remember I went back to Exarbon to work, and I remember w walking to Grandstand, thinking it's over. Mm -hmm. What did I come back to? The times have even more drastically changed. Mm -hmm. And who was I to think that I could come and still in the same business model to, to do a reversal? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it was just, it was just clear. Culture had changed. Yeah. So talk a little bit about like you know, the lessons, what are the lessons uh, for us? I mean, you know, we, we work for the church. We're, um, you know, the part of this, this big goal is a desire in some ways that our, that our parishes would uh begin to recognize, well, the signs of the times that, that we're living in and be able to kind of re, you know, rediscover our, our mich missionary identity. Talk a little bit about like, gosh, the, the challenge to not like dig in our heels, the ability to recognize the signs of the times. I mean, you, you really literally walked through it experientially with an organization. Um, what are the lessons for you know, those who are a part of our parishes, the church now, who are experiencing, like it or not, something similar. So there are some really good comparisons with the Exarbon 
illustration I use and and even the newspaper business. So when I you mm. walk when you would walk through the Xarvin grandstand, it went from being thirty thousand people to three thousand people on a, on a Monday, or or four thousand on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, you walk now neighborhoods, and you don't see many newspapers on, in driveways. Um, yeah, for for those who are too young, USA Today was a newspaper. Correct. Yeah, right. Still yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. um, you go into our churches. And you see a lot of empty pews. Yeah, and so um, and 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 it's and it's clear to us what the remedy to that is. And mm. and and if if we have individuals, and we do, who have this beautiful relationship and intimacy with the Lord, and still for some reason are not yet wanting to go out and share that, mm-hmm. if we have parishes who aren't trying to facilitate that. And, and and we see the signs in the times in front of us on Sundays and and the erosion of culture mm-hmm. um, and if if we if we don't act if we stand still it's at our own peril uh, a couple of weeks ago we had the uh, uh, the gospel on the two great commandments mm-hmm. uh, you know love the Lord with all your heart mind and soul and the second commandment your, your neighbor as itself as yourself it, on the surface, that seems really, really, you know, easy. I mean, it, it, Jesus said that's the foundation for everything. Um, it's difficult, but not complicated. Mm-hmm. But, but why is it so? Why is it so difficult for us to live out those two commandments? And, and to me, I, I attribute to that to what because we we we've lost track of the big story, mm-hmm. the charisma, and, and unless unless there's the introduction of the charisma over and over and over and it becomes just so much of who we are, then I think it's going to be easier for us to live out the two great commandments. But, but that's just absent right now. Yeah. T- talk about that because we've, you know, we've, Jeff Cavins, myself, we've talked about the charisma. Um, how would you, what's like, what's the charisma in, in, in your own words, not just the definition, right? right. But what's the, like, what is that core message, that, that story in your own words? Because well, I heard somebody was giving you props, Jen Mosier, uh, for, no, I'm sorry, Jody Phillips. Uh-huh. I mean, they're both wonderful, but I should quote the right person. Uh, Jody heard a homily that you gave at her parish, St. Bernard's, uh-huh. uh, as, as a deacon where you share the gospel. Yeah. So, so what, I think, you know, what's the, the good news? What's the, the charisma? God created us out of love. He created us to be in union with him. He had this beautiful plan for us, and that is to be in union. That is to to be vessels of receptivity. I just want to lavish you with my love, and I want to live in union with you, and I want you to be in union with me, and I want you to have that eternal life. Uh, Basic plan for us. We're sinners. Sin entered the world. Mm -hmm. That whole plan got disrupted. Uh, we participate in sin because he wants to lavish so much that love on us because he pursues us every day from the moment we awake, wanting to infuse us with that love. Um, and, and I'm not going to let you go that easily. I'm going to introduce my son. He's going to come into the world and he's going to die the most horrific death mm-hmm. that a person can die in which they're going to throw him on the trash heap of humanity, but he's doing it for you in pursuit of you to bring you back into that, that plan of mine. And, mm-hmm. and, and so what's your response to that? What's our response to that? Repentant, believe in the good news. Um, you know, some would say be baptized, receive the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, abide in Christ, abide in the church and go make disciples. And, and if it, internalizing that and proclaiming that does not make us get up in the morning and have a hearts that 
just flow over. I, I don't know what will. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, my first thought upon waking my eyes in the morning is, Lord, I, I, I just, I, I, I'm going to live that the first of the greatest commandments mm-hmm. because I, I can't help it. And then I can't help but take that to someone else. And I can't help but then get as close to someone's misery as I can. And for, and for sure, the suffering, the risen Christ is me is going to see the suffering Christ in someone else. I'm going to tend to you. And if we don't embrace that and proclaim that, then it's at our own peril in, in different ways. Yeah. So talk a little bit. I mean, you're a man of the church. I mean, you know, Catholic all your life. Um, I mean, my summary, not yours, but I can't remember a time when you didn't know Jesus and see you know, an, expi- an inspiring example of of deep faith lived around you. Uh, and you've been working for the institutional church for a while. Clearly, your faith is not in the institutional church per se, right? It's in this this person, this, this, person. this relationship. Talk a little bit. I mean, you know, not, neither of us, um, at least to my knowledge, have you know, like doctorates or like experts in like the history, but why is it that that experience often feels so rare uh, within the institutional church? Because I mean, you're 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 talking you're just talking about the fundamentals of Catholic faith, and yet those those fundamentals it seems like they've they've kind of gotten lost in you know in the ages and kind of layers. What happened? How do we get it back? With the but, basic proclamation, or for, for for someone else to experience that person. Well, I would I would say both. I think they're I think they're related. So yeah, what I I mean I've seen so you know I've shared it on the podcast, but the the super short version is you know there were years that I had a business card that said missionary on it when yeah. when I was still afraid to make the initial proclamation, and I had a second or third or fourth, if you will, <laughs> conversion experience where I realized like, my gosh, I have to. I have to preach the gospel. Yeah. I have to invite people to make a decision. And I was so blessed to, because of the formal teaching of the church, John Paul II in particular, and then good missionary friends that made me jealous, I started to uh, begin to proclaim the gospel and I saw fruit in my ministry and I saw lives changed. Uh, that was huge for me. Mm. Um, but yeah, talk talk a little bit like what, yeah, how do we, how do we get, back and rediscover this because sometimes it seems like the culture that we have now as Catholics, particularly faith, faithful Catholics, feels very far away from this culture of proclamation where, where lives are changed. I mean, so as you know, I, we have so much treasure in the church, starting from the gospel to to devotions, to, to mm-hmm. rituals, to, to art, to, to architecture, uh, books, and media, I mean, and I think so much of our, tre- I think we're overflowed with treasure and maybe too much. We get a that, lot of stuff. That that we've gotten away from the pennies and, and the nickels and the dimes of the charisma. Hmm. So I think, um, um, and maybe have chased so many other things and, and beautiful things. So I, I think we, we've right. taken ourselves away from what's what's most basic and what's most important, which shows up eight times in, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, that, that charismatic proclamation started with Peter, I mean, right after Pentecost. So I think we just maybe unintentionally distracted ourselves and got away from what's basic and most mm-hmm. important. Uh, you know, I, I think the receiving end of that proclamation for people is so much, it's the idolatry in, in life. It's like mm. in myself, 
in my 20s and post-college and in the chase of the American dream. That was going to be my identity. Uh, you know, our own pain, pains, our own, our own hurts. We have a culture that's mm-hmm. not favorable to it, but yet discourage, which then discourages us. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm not going to get discouraged uh, or be rejected by, by proclamation. Um, and so there's, it takes courage, but I think we have so many other gods in our life and so many other distractions and, uh, it makes us not receptive to mm-hmm. the message. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it discourages those who want to share the message. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I, I can't tell you how many times I've gathered with, you know, a group of church leaders, right? The, uh, the infamous, like the, the, the basement, yeah, you know, the, the, the church basement yeah. and the conversation um, if it's not on, I mean, I love your phrase, it leaks, locks, and loans. If it's not kind of fixated on the the details of kind of maintenance, then it often turns just to complaining. It's like, wow, the culture, river, and and it seems like the hope or uh, conviction that like, no, Jesus is real and he's alive and the message makes a difference. Uh, our proclamation, our life, our witness makes a difference. It's almost, it's almost like that's been totally forgotten. So, what would you say to those? And on a, a story, a, a conviction, preach a little bit if you want. But like, what, what would you say to those who, almost despite themselves or unknowingly, they've kind of gotten discouraged and forgotten that the gospel is still still changes lives, that it still has power. I would say reverence your limitations. To people, Ooh, okay, explain that. So, uh, is so a lot of the discouragement might be in um, I am the one who's going to bring about the conversion. Mm. Um, it's going to be my eloquence. It's going to be my word choice. It's going to be my imagery. It's going to be me. It's is to simply reverence your limitations. If you do not reverence your limitations, you're never going to wake up in the morning and say, "Lord, I need you." Mm-hmm. And so, just be faithful with it, with the, with that call of proclamation, and any movement, any conversion will be taken care of. Um, and you don't have to worry about you have to be that change agent. It's it. So I, I think it's to acknowledge. I'm just going to be faithful to the call, and what comes about, the Lord's already taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I, to me, I think it's a privilege to be persecuted. I mean, I, I, I've been in a yeah. restaurant before with my wife where I was seen on TV standing up for marriage, traditional marriage, and someone used that as an opportunity to say, um, I saw you on TV and my wife was right there. We were eating. It was a South Omaha restaurant. And this, happened, this has happened a number of times. Um, and my wife even saying to me, getting mad at me because you were smiling, smiling when that guy was yelling at you. And I just, I remember I, I'm being uh, persecuted. And, yeah. and if I have to stand before the Lord someday and say, I've never been persecuted, I'm, well, I'm not going to stand before the Lord. Right. Um, so I think just to courage and, and to be mm-hmm. brave and to go proclaim mm-hmm. the, the, the mighty deeds he's done in your life, but be privileged that you're going to get persecuted before it. Yeah. I, I want to break that down because I've been listening. It's, I hear th- at least three convictions in there. Number one, there's this conviction that the Lord is well aware of our weaknesses and not in any way concerned about that limiting him. Right. So long as we're willing to speak, uh, certainly a, a conviction that sometimes uh, 
it's the persecution that that is a kind of certificate of authenticity mm-hmm. for us and a conviction that it's going to be rewarded in in heaven and and to have a, a perspective that's bigger bigger than this this life right yeah. so again, if you can imagine our, again our parishes who who commit to this culture of generosity mm-hmm. um, who who facilitate it as best as they can and are able to help with the holy spirit for this encounter with the lord who then is going to uh, you know inspire someone to um, i know this person this person has changed my life i've received his mercy i can only now be merciful myself mm-hmm. i can only go out and i can and i can seek those on the roadsides and the byways um who, who need that that the balm of christ yeah um it, you know, all that being tied to evangelization, all, you know, all right. that just be one seamless way of being, again, as I say, as we wake up in the morning and go about our day. And and uh, and sure, what comes about it is I, I have to make another response. It's going to be, I'm going to be a disciple. It's, I am going to be that balm. The risen Christ mm-hmm. in me is going to tend to the suffering Christ in another. And, and I'm going to give him my treasure because mm-hmm. I, I have to. I, I just, I, I, I just, I have to give back. I mean, the way you talk about this, not that there's not an intentionality or some degree of you know choice or awareness, but it's almost kind of, it's just like it's just this reflexive response for those who've encountered the Lord, who you know who are aware of their weakness, they've experienced His mercy. It's just kind of a reflex. How how could I not tell someone? Right. Um, it's it's a reflex. I, so I would I would uh, compare it to Paul. You know, Jesus stood alongside Paul on the road to Damascus, mm-hmm. and the, and Jesus consumed Paul. He, he just he entered mm-hmm. so fully into Paul. Paul ceased being Paul. Mm-hmm. So it just it just becomes a way of living. It's it is the risen Christ in us, living us. So he you know he stands alongside alongside, and just overtakes us. Yeah, and we we don't know who we are anymore. I love it. Well, I mean, that's yeah, that's what Paul says. All right, and it's no longer I who live, right. but Christ lives lives in me. Let talk a little bit. You dropped just back there a little bit. You dropped like culture of generosity. Yeah, that's one of the the key characteristics that we've pinpointed that we we believe are going to be levers. That if if a parish can cultivate a culture of generosity, that there's something about that generosity. Yes, financial stewardship. But in the most broad sense, a, you know, a, a living of of mercy, that there's something about that culture that's going to be a lever to help bring about a missional community. You've seen how, I mean, this again, this kind of seamless link between the living of mercy and culture of generosity and evangelization and mission. Talk a little bit more uh, about that. How those how those two kind of go together. And and the reason I ask is, is I think oftentimes there's this kind of false dichotomy. You know, you've got people over here is like, well, we do mercy and we love poor people. And they're like, no, we love the church and we love evangelization and catechesis. And how, you know, in, in the in the life of a Christian, in the life of Jesus, those are just all, in the life of Paul, they're all one. How do you how do you bring those together? Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, so I think the the, the starting point and the root of it all would, would be prayer. I mean, um, so I think so. So the person who is going to evangelize, as you know, obviously he he is. I would compare it to again my own background. 
that person's a publicist. I mean, he, he is going and he is promoting and he's That's publicizing right. this person he, he knows so yeah. intimately and deeply. We're all Jesus. in marketing. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so if, and if to go back, if he's so much, it's, if he's overtaking us hmm. and, and, and we have that mind in the heart, it is a seamless way of living. We, we are going to proclaim him. Mm-hmm. We are, we can only be merciful. Hmm. Um, we can only share, you know, who he is. We can only live that life. We can only imitate him. Um, so I don't think you can turn off, like you're saying, compartmentalize. I think mm. I will simply proclaim today, but I'll keep to the side and I'll save till tomorrow entering into someone's misery mm-hmm. or, 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 or the corporate works of mercy. It's just, you're a new, you're a new person. Mm-hmm. Once you've encountered him, you become that, that person. Who, who yeah. didn't separate his own life. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just a seamless, we put on new clothes. Talk about, if we can, let's go just a little deeper into that that moment of prayer. I mean, we're we're really close to, to Thanksgiving. You know, that celebration is on everybody's mind. Kind of like the heart of, in many ways, I think what you're saying was, well, the heart of, the, the heart of evangelization is this, personal gratitude for right, the Lord has saved me and letting that reality consume us, fill us, be present and top of mind. We can't help but express it. Just give a little like quick tutorial in prayer here. Like how does, how does someone, I mean, again, thinking Thanksgiving here, how do you, how do you remember what the Lord has done for you so that that proclamation just springs forward? I guess to, to your first question about what is, you know, what is prayer? Um, again, maybe I'll use an illustration again. Um, so last night or yesterday I had a long day. I got home around eight o'clock last night. I walk into my house. My wife is in the sunroom. She's got the TV on. She's playing a game on her computer. I think, um, I look at her. I say, hi, honey, how are you? She, she says, fine. She looks at me. How are you? I say, fine. There wasn't any rainbows and leprechauns. She didn't do backflips when I came in the house. I know you're surprised. Yeah, nor, uh, nor, but normally she, she right. does just no okay, confetti. Just to, be, just to be clear. <laughs> right. So I acknowledge her. She acknowledges me. There was a mutuality. We know we are in a relationship and, and that's prayer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so first and you know, so prayer is a relationship. And 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 uh and we often think it's rainbows and leprechauns and it's feelings and it's emotion. And I would tell people, isn't it enough just to stand before the Father mm-hmm. in prayer? And that's all the emotion and rainbows and leprechauns and unicorns that, that, that you would need. Uh, and so it's a relationship. And, and a relationship is developed because you have to spend time with someone. Mm-hmm. And so you know that deep prayer life, obviously you're going to have that deep prayer life knowing this, 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 this person I'm in love with and who's in love with me, he wants my good. Mm-hmm. And I know what that good is. I, I got this lifelong experiences of these constant goods that he, he lavishes upon me. I don't think it's a, a, it's a, an effort of imagination for us. It should not be to recall all the mighty deeds he's done in our life. And, mm-hmm. and they're not, they don't have to be earth shattering things. The mm-hmm. fact that, that I'm allowed to take a breath, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, 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 the fact that I'm, I'm allowed, um, that I know he's, he's so aware of me in prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that uh, I can sit there and just receive and be gazed upon. Yeah. Well, and, and an acknowledgement. Right. To, I, I'm drawn, you know, our, our family, as we get close here, end of the liturgical year, getting ready for the start of the liturgical year in Advent. We always do this little thing in, in Advent uh, where, you know, we'll kind of like assign names, which is hilarious. You know, I have six children at home. So there's, well, the, the baby doesn't take names. But we're, as we like assign names, it's hilarious. I mean, I can almost see the guardian angels <laughs> rigging the hat full of names, making sure the two siblings that hate each other draw each other <laughs> for, for little, you know, for advent angels, little acts of kindness. And I... That little devotional Advent thing has been so meaningful. Yeah. Not only is it good for our family, but it it is teaching me how to recognize the Lord's loving me. You know, because usually what that what that manifests is just simply it's like I'm just going to go bring my wife a cup of coffee in the morning first. You know, and I'm going to put ungodly amounts of cream in it, just like the way she <laughs> just just the way she likes it. Sorry, honey. Um, or, or you know, or just I'm I'm going to do you know. I, you know, one of my kids, if I draw them, I'm going to draw their chores. And to begin to notice Jesus doing some of my chores for me. Um, I mean, he's never gotten me a cup of coffee, but well, actually through teammates. So, somebody, so yeah. just, but noticing the way, like the simple ways the Lord loves me, you know, not that God bless those who have the Teresa of Avila moments, but right. yeah. Yeah. I like to shock some of my directees as a spiritual director <laughs> in, um, I'm not one. Is, to is that a metaphor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, I was like, wow, this is a new. <laughs> so I'm not one to have, hand out assignments. So I, mm -hmm. I would be a non directive directee, mm -hmm. but one assignment I consistently would hand out is those who have a devotion to uh, the Blessed Sacrament or exposition mm -hmm. would be. So the next time you go, um, just give Jesus permission. And give yourself permission. Let him adore you hmm. uh, for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or for an entire hour. Just let him adore you. you just you don't you don't have to adore him. He doesn't mm -hmm. really need us to adore him, but mm -hmm. but he has this craving and his thirst to adore you. Then just let him. And yeah. I, the response I get was, "Well, I can't. I, that's unseemly. I can't. I can't do that. But why? Let him. Yeah. I mean, we don't believe we're lovable." And that's and 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 they can only walk away with gratitude, yeah. The hearts that swell that we then have to give away. That's great. I feel like that's also giving me permission to fall asleep in adoration too, because that's right. that's the only time my children, especially the teens, will let me look at them. You know, <laughs> if they're asleep and they don't know that I'm looking at them. Uh, yeah, gosh, that's deep stuff. I love that. That's really good. What you know, as we get kind of ready, as we kind of close here, any yeah, just any. Um, I don't know, kind of closing, you know, remarks, insights. I, I mean, I think we, we've talked, we've gone all over the place. We've talked a little bit about big goal, a little bit about culture of generosity, uh, poverty. I think sometimes there's a mistaken notion of spiritual and material poverty, but any, yeah, just kind of closing thoughts for us, uh, things things you want to share or encouragement for, for those who are listening. Yeah, I, you know, I think for anybody who's listening, I think in particular, you know, our parishes, um, you know, we're given this opportunity every day when we wake up in the morning is to, is to take the time to get to know this person who, who thirsts for us, um, share that with others. Um, and 
it is an opportunity. And and at, at, at a moment in, in our history when the Lord is begging us and beckoning us hmm. to receive him, to share him, to be disciples, and, and to go out. Uh, because it's, you know, I talked earlier about we have empty pews. That's not going to change unless we participate mm-hmm. and, and, and unless we were faithful to the call. Um, so we can, we can sit still and hope something changes on its own. Um, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this beautiful invitation of, I, I am, I'm inviting you to participate in my work of salvation. So how many times have you heard? And I have heard, um, someone's trying to figure out what's my call in life. What do I want to do in life? What's the Lord calling me to do? Well, with certainty, he's, he's, he's given you this. Mm-hmm. You, you, you get to participate in my work of salvation. What more do we want? And, and not, not to take advantage of that. Um, it's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. It's tragic. So, it, so if, if we want to have missional parishes, that, that will happen. It will happen. But it takes time. It takes effort. It takes commitment. It takes prayer. Mm-hmm. And it takes us being small, being poor. That's good. I feel like I'm kind of go, going to go back because I want to um, I want to give you a chance just to talk a little bit about how that has manifest uh, in your own life. And particularly, um, you have two offices. Your really nice office here, beautiful historic mm-hmm. desk. It was what, Bishop Ryan's desk? No. Uh, Bergen's. Bergen's. Bishop, Bishop Bergen's, Bishop Bergen's yeah. desk. Beautiful beautiful desk, nice office here in, in, in the Chancery. Um, but you also have a, an office uh, in, in North Omaha. Talk a little bit about how you personally um, kind of live out this, <laughs> the littleness, uh, the call to to find Christ in the poor. Um, so I have an auxiliary office on 24th Street. It is uh, right in the thick of the world. 24th Street. 20, North 24th Street. Um, it is, it's, it's right outside that office is where you know, multiple shootings have been occurring on weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's deep pockets of poverty. It's deep, um, it's deep abandonment and, and rejection. Um, and it's, uh, we often think it's a place that needs, and, and it does, but increased income, mm-hmm. more affordable housing, um, there's transportation needs. None of that is going to take the place or bring about the healing of abandonment and rejection that's down there. Mm. So I, 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 this doesn't make me saintly. I like the grit of a city. Um, I, I like being street side. So I like, I'm not in my office a whole lot down there. Mm. I, I will walk the streets a lot of time. Nice. Um, I do a lot of my diaconate work down there. Uh, but you just, you just encounter, the Lord just presents people to you. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you tell the story of the woman at the park? Oh yeah. So um, one beautiful Sunday f- fall morning, I was, I think it's Freedom Park. No, it's not Freedom Park. I, the concrete little park on 24th Street. The name now escapes me. But uh, I was af- after mass. I was down there. I was praying with the day's gospel. I think I was praying the uh, Seven Sorrows Chaplet. Uh, just praying for the community and. Um, a woman presents herself, and she looked like she was in her sixties. Uh, she was she was black. Uh, she looked at me. I acknowledged her. She acknowledged me. That led to start off with a conversation. Um, 
it was small talk that quickly turned to big talk because it was in the throes of the riots Mm -hmm. in the city. And she was talking about racism and injustice and the president um, and politicians. And she was going on and on. You can tell just deep pain in her heart, Mm. uh, but deep concern. And she abruptly stopped and she said, well, um, you're being quiet. You have nothing to say. And I said, her name was Sharon. I said, well, Sharon, um, you have a lot to say. I'm just listening. She said, good, I do have a lot to say. So she went on and ke- she kept going on and on and on about the- She could host a podcast. That's really. right. The, the problems in the world which were real. And then finally she abruptly stops again. And she says, do you know what the answer is? I said, what's the answer, Sharon? And she said, "It's the answer is Jesus. And we have to love one another. And I said, uh, well, Sharon, that's really, really simplistic. And her eyes got real big. I said, but you, you, you nailed it. You're right. That's that's what we need. We need Jesus and we need to love one another. Um, and so I said, you know, you're a Christian woman. I can tell you, you know, the story of Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. She said, I do. I said, okay, what, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And she said, I want Jesus to uh, put love in man's heart. And I said, well, that's, that's beautiful. That's unselfish. What do you want him to do for you specifically? And she said, mm-hmm. I, I want love in, in, in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, then let's pray for that. So we just, I prayed out loud and she was shouting hallelujah and she was hooting and hollering and she even started singing. And then we, I started to hug her. She told me, don't hug me. If you give me COVID, I'm going to sue you. Uh, <laughs> we went our separate ways to our different benches. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I saw her a couple days later and she was in the park again. I pulled over. I said, hello. Um, she looked at me, she pointed at me. She said, uh, the Lord answered my prayer. Keep it simple. And he, he answered her, her second prayer. I mean, it That's starts awesome. with us. Her, her heart was changed. It softened. Yeah. Uh, Cause she had a lot of hostility and animosity. And, and we had a little, I got out of the car, we had a little conversation and she was a dramatically different, softer person. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of those, so I'll help people come in off the street and just, um, I think she maybe told some people who I've had a chance just to pray with mm-hmm. and, uh, and, um, and there's prayer walks often down there mm-hmm. where the homicide, um, sites are. So uh, I've invited deacons to come down there and pray some of those homicide, um, some of those outdoor prayer walks. And it's a place of despair. It's a place where the, the gospel still has to be really proclaimed, but but the, the Lord isn't absent. Yeah, that that's beautiful. Thank you. I want to, I think my favorite part of that story is, what do you want Jesus to do? I want Jesus to heal everybody. Yeah. Put, put love in everyone. No, no, no. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Right. So that's that's beautiful. Um, And it worked. It did. She's... She was open. Yeah. She knew Jesus. I didn't. Yeah. But, you know, but knowing Jesus, but I mean, it, it's a, it's a really telling story. And, and to me, what part of what has captured my imagination from the very beginning about the, the vision and priorities, you know, one church encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, living mercy is that that word encountering, there's a difference between knowing that Jesus is the answer and, and, and letting him in. And letting him fill your heart with love, um, and uh, yeah, that's good. That's good work to to ask that question, and to just invite him in. Yeah, because he's 
He's so interested in every detail of our day and we just have to invite him in. That's fantastic. I am so glad I was just about to close and I'm so glad I asked that that question and uh, we got to go there. Thank you for sharing yep. the story. Yep. Thank you for being with us. I, Thank you for everything you do for the, for the for the archdiocese here. Uh, if you have a problem, um, I mean, it has to be a really big problem for Deacon Tim to solve it, but if you have a really big problem, Deacon Tim's, you know, if you want love in everyone's hearts or maybe in your own, uh, he's here at the, he's here at the chancery. Um, just in closing, I want to provide a little, uh, again, a- advertisement here, announcing the big goal. Uh, one of the things that we did is we are working, uh, here at the chancery to really to be of service for pastors and parish leaders, uh, we talked about one of the characteristics, uh, culture of generosity, one of the characteristics of missional communities. One of the other characteristics, uh, collaborative leadership, we're having a webinar on that. Uh, in fact, two webinars on that. Uh, December 1st, uh, from 7 to 9 p.m., uh, we're having a webinar on collaborative leadership. And December 3rd, from 10 a.m. to noon. You can find both of them, uh, registrations at the website, equip.archomaha.org. Just go to the events tab. Again, that's equip.archomaha.org. You can go to the events tab and you can register for one. I mean, you can come to both of them if you want, but it's going to be the same thing. So uh, register for one of those. If you're interested, bring bring somebody with you. Again, equip.archomaha.org, the events tab. You can also subscribe to the blog there if you like. And uh, if you're looking for the EquipCast itself, you can find us on all the major platforms. Thank you, and God bless. We're grateful for you all.